0: Uh, I'll show you in a second in genesis like noah sw- noah was a righteous man and he was blameless in his age And you see that but then you read Romans chapter 3 that we just read that gail just read for us and it says no one is righteous. No, not one And you go. Well, which is it? Right lots of times in the bible particularly in the psalms it talks a lot about people being righteous And the different things that are there, but then it says no one is righteous. So which is it? How do we take that and so part of the question was, was is the bible contradictory that it says those two things And so that's the first question I want us just to consider big picture. How does that work, that that idea of righteousness? But then the second question is that if we're saved by grace, it's all what Jesus is doing and it's all his works. We say that each and every week here. We talk about the heart of the gospel, that we're saved by grace through faith and what Christ has done. If we're saved by grace through faith and what Jesus has done, why does the Bible seem to speak about being judged by our works? And there's a lot of different passages. We'll talk about that in a second and I'll show you where it says that, but those questions come up. Well, why does it say that? And it talks about being judged by our works. And then lastly, the question was that if there's a judgment and Jesus returns and we stand before Him in judgment, is that everyone? Is that believers and unbelievers? Are we as those that are trusting in Jesus and we're putting our faith in Him and we're saved by faith, are we going to stand before Him in judgment? And if so, what is that like? And what does that mean? And so all those are great, big, huge questions. And I want us to look at all three of those. And so the way I'm gonna do it is we're gonna answer the first one about the righteousness kind of singularly. And then we're gonna put the other two together and kind of bring all of that together because they all really run together. So let's start with the first question about does the Bible contradict itself when it says righteous versus no one is righteous? For example, Genesis six and chapter nine, talking about Noah. It says the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. Right? This seems pretty straightforward. Noah was righteous. He was blameless. In his generation, Noah walked with God. Psalm thirty four, verse fifteen and the eyes of the Lord, the eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous, and his ears toward their cry. Right? So it seems to talk about the righteous, and God hears them and his eyes are seeing them, and his ear is toward their cry. Uh we could go to Psalm thirty two eleven, be clad in the Lord, oh and rejoice, O you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. And it says that over and over, and I could give you a bunch more examples, particularly in the Psalms, where it says this over and over and over again. So I thought that's a pretty good question. You're reading through your Bible and it talks about Noah being righteous, and it talks about these people uh in the Psalms and all of this over and over, and then you get to Romans chapter three that Gail just read for us. And if you're familiar with the book of Romans, there in Romans chapter three, Paul's at the end of a two chapter argument. And for two chapters, he's making the argument that we're all sinners and none of us is righteous. And he gets to verse nine and he says that, and he quotes all these passages from the Old Testament. No one is righteous. No, not one. He starts to go through this whole list. All have turned aside. Together, they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. And he paints a pretty intense picture of how none of us is righteous. And he go, yeah, but it just said Noah's righteous. And the Psalms talk about people that are righteous. And it says these things over and over again. And so what's the answer? Is the Bible in contradiction? Oftentimes, what will happen, and I've had this, maybe you've had this at different times with friends that are maybe not a believer, they're skeptical, or they're asking questions. They go, yeah, you can't believe the Bible's God's word. It contradicts itself over and over. And they might even pull that out. They could pull out that verse from Genesis chapter six, and they go, see? It says that Noah was righteous, but then Paul says, no one's righteous. So which is it? And so what happens... A lot of times with those apparent contradictions or people do that is, is we do what we call proof texting. We pull a verse out of context and we put it over here. Pull another verse out of context and we put it over here and we go, aha! But the first rule of interpreting the Bible is context is king. And it's important to come to the Bible that way and let the arguments be made as you're, you're reading through and thinking about the, all the context that goes around it and what it's saying. But it's important also to remember the Bible is very nuanced. And it uses different words in different ways and it says things and we read it in English and we go, well, this seems to be a contradiction of that. And so how do we make sense out of that? What does it mean that someone's righteous? And how should we look at it? So there's a couple things that I want you to consider. Those, These are not at odds, they actually go together. I hope to show you how that's the case, but it is a good question to ask. In one sense, when you read in the Bible, there's those that are called righteous. And in some instances, it has to do with just kind of big picture. They're seeking the Lord. They're seeking to do right. They're seeking to live in those ways. Um, When we think about what it means to be righteous or to to walk in righteousness, it's to promote the well being and peace of those around you, right? Loving God and loving people would be a good way to say it, right? Jesus summarizes all the laws in that way. And you're seeking to do that. And in some ways you say, well, that person's righteous. Maybe you've used this before or if you've thought of this before, you ever had a neighbor or a friend, or somebody you know, and they go, hey, do you know Joe? He's my neighbor. And you go, yeah, yeah, I know Joe. He's a great guy. Have you ever said that before? You ever talked about somebody like that? "Yeah, Yeah, yeah, he's a really good guy. Anytime I need something, he's there to help. He seems to be a kind person. He's really helpful. He's a great guy. And we say those kind of things. Or we say, yeah, yeah, he's a good guy, or "She's a she's a great lady. And we use that kind of language, but yet biblically, uh, guy comes up to Jesus and he says, "Good teacher, what must I do to be saved?" And Jesus looks at him and goes, "Why do you call me good? No one's good but God alone." And he goes, "Well, we, just, we use that kind of language, and so as part of it is, is in a general sense. So they're seeking to do the things that God calls us to. It doesn't mean they're perfect, but they're trying and they're working out those. And so some of it is like that. But then some of it, as you start to read through the Bible, there's a different category when we start to talk about God's righteousness." What does true righteousness look like? What does it look like? Holy, perfect, glorious perfection. God's blazing holiness. That he is perfect in every way and in all things. See, when we talk about, oh, that's a pretty good guy or she's a good lady. You know, when we say that, that none of us is perfect, right? I've yet to meet the person. Uh, I'll back up. If you wanna raise your hand and say, no, 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 I've done it all perfectly and I've nailed it and I've got it all together. I always ask that question. No one has ever said, that's me, I do it. I think all of us know that none of us is perfectly righteous. None of us does all of that greatly. That there are times when we blow it. There's times when we just don't wanna do it. There's times when we're in a bad mood and we're the opposite of righteous. There's times when we do all sorts of things that go against the things that God calls us to do. And there's a huge difference between that kind of seeking to do good and go along our way versus God's holy, perfect righteousness. And they're miles and miles apart, but we might use that word interchangeably. I'll give you an example, and it's maybe a silly example, but when I was, uh, in high school, I loved basketball. Like I was obsessed with basketball for about four years. Like that's all I did in my free time. I shot and shot and shot and ran and did. Everything I did was ordered around that. And I would do this shooting drill uh, for a couple of years in high school. In the season, I would do it three or four times a day in the off season, even more than that. And I would shoot a 103 pointers. And I'd go to the court and I'd run down and I'd shoot it on one end and I'd grab the ball and I'd run down and I'd shoot it on the other end. And I'd keep track how many I made out of a 100. And I got to be a really good shooter. I would even say I was at one point a great shooter. Maybe not a great basketball player. Six foot, kind of slow, can't really jump. All those things work against you. But I was a really, really great shooter. And I got to the point where I would make between about 65 to 80 every time I did that. My high was 80. One time I made 80 out of 100 three-pointers doing that drill. And I worked at it and worked at it and worked at it. If I got less than 60, I immediately had to do it again. It's like, that was unacceptable. I was so intense and so serious about this. And so I would say I was a great shooter. I got to where I was really good at shooting a basketball. A couple years ago, I came across a video that Steph Curry, if you know who Steph Curry is, maybe the greatest shooter who ever lives. He plays in the NBA right now. He holds all the three-point records for the history of the NBA. He's an incredible shooter. And it was him doing a similar drill that he does after practice, where he shoots 100 threes. And I watched it on YouTube and he made 99 out of hundred. And I sat there with my mouth open watching him just one after they said, when he does it, that on the low end, he makes 97. Some days he makes all 100 and some days he just keeps shooting until he misses and he might make 115 or 120 in a row. And I watched that and thought, I was a pretty great shooter. But compared to Steph Curry, I'm not even in the same ballpark. I'm not even close. But here's the thing. When we start to think about God's holy righteousness, push that analogy further. How many shots has Steph Curry shot in his life? A million? Two million? How many times has he missed? A million? God never misses. God is perfectly righteous in every way. And as far as I am from Steph Curry, I'm a lot closer to being the shooter that Steph Curry is than any of us are close to God's righteousness. And so there's an idea in the Bible about walking righteously and seeking those things. And then there's God's righteousness. And what Paul's talking about here in Romans chapter three is God's righteousness, how none of us can stand before him. That when we're using his his character, In His standard, in His perfect holiness, none of us is righteous. No, not one. None of us is even close. We're nowhere near that. But yet here's the thing. The Bible does call people righteous. And in fact, in the New Testament, it calls us righteous. And in fact, in the New Testament, it calls us when we put our faith in Jesus, saints. Isn't that crazy? Paul says this over and over. Actually, he says it in Romans chapter 1, verse 7. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know who he's talking about? The church. He's not talking about a certain group of people. He's talking about those that have put their faith in Jesus. And he calls you a saint? And he starts to call you righteous and he starts to say these things? Or you read about Noah and he's called righteous and blameless? And you go, how is that possible? And the answer is what it tells you right here in Romans chapter three. One of the greatest passages in all the Bible. He goes through great lengths to show you that you are a sinner and that you are not righteous and that you are far away from God and no amount of doing on your part will ever get you there. But then we get to verse 21. And he says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. And although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Je- Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of the God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Do you hear what he says? None of us is righteous. None of us even comes close. None of us measures up. We're nowhere in the ballpark. But in Jesus and what he's done for us, the righteousness of God has been manifested in Jesus and we now get his perfect life and all of his righteousness, the very righteousness of God applied to you by grace through faith in what Jesus has done. And so he can now call us righteous. He can now call you saints because of what Christ has done. And it's the very heart of everything that we profess. But then you say, well, wait a second. What about Noah? Noah was way before Jesus. What about Abraham? What about all these great saints in the Old Testament and all these people? The roll call of the faithful in Hebrews 11. What about them? Jesus hadn't even come yet. How can it say about Noah? Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. He walked, Noah walked with God. How can it say that? Sometimes we think of the Old Testament as you were saved by your works. And so that's why uh, Psalms talks about the righteous and God hears them and all those things. And he starts to say that. And you go, yeah, the Old Testament was works. And then Jesus comes and now it's grace by faith. Is that the way the Bible's written? And the answer is emphatically no. And so how can Noah be called righteous? And how can it be called blameless? And so what does it mean when it says Noah walked with God and he was blameless in his generation? Was Noah sinless? Anybody read Genesis? The answer's real clear in chapter nine, actually. You know what Noah does right after he gets off the boat? He plants a vineyard and he gets really drunk and then he passes out naked. You remember that? You can look it up, it's there. I'm not making that up. That's Noah's part of that, that's what he's doing. And so we go, well, how's he blameless? I had a professor in seminary that said, when you read that Noah's blameless, what it's saying is that Noah doesn't lay blame. That when he recognizes that he's not perfect, when he recognizes his sin, he walks with God and he doesn't lay blame. He confesses and he puts his trust in God in the way in which Noah was righteous, that truly righteous, the way he was walking with God is he doesn't lay blame. He confesses his sin and he recognizes that he can't do it, but that God can. It's the same thing that Paul makes this argument. He actually makes this argument really clear in Romans. You get to Romans chapter four. So he just tells you, none of us is righteous. None of us has done it. None of us can do enough. And then he says, you're saved by grace through faith at the end of chapter three. And then you turn to chapter four and he goes, oh yeah, by the way, Abraham was saved by faith. And you go, what? Abraham's Old Testament. What do you mean saved by faith? And you know what he says? He he points you back to Genesis 15, six. And he said, Abraham believed God and God counted it to him as righteousness. You know what the context is? He takes Abraham outside and he says, you're gonna have as many descendants as there are stars in the sky. And Abraham's almost a hundred years old and his wife's barren. And he goes, okay, God, I trust you. I believe that's gonna happen. And God credited it to him as righteousness by faith. You're saved by grace through faith in the Old Testament, trusting that God's gonna do what he says he's gonna do in Jesus. That's always the case. And that's the way in which that we can be called righteous. Not because we're perfectly righteous. Not because we've done it all. But because Jesus has done it all. And he's done it for us. And so I want you to think about that. in the way that we live and the way we pursue him in our life. You are now made righteous because of what Jesus has done. You're clothed in his righteousness. Right? Romans chapter 3. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe there is no distinction for we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. It's now true of you when you put your faith in Jesus, you are clothed in his righteousness and God sees you in that way. And then he gives you the very spirit of God. God, the Holy Spirit comes and lives in and with you. And God sees you already perfectly clothed in Christ's righteousness. And then the spirit begins to work and he shows you how to begin to walk that out. And we begin to walk in righteous ways. Not that we're righteous perfectly in what we do. We're righteous because of what Jesus has done. But we now get to start to live that out because of the spirit at work within us. And so you can begin to live righteously as God is doing that work in and through you. That doesn't mean that you won't falter. It doesn't mean that there won't be times in which you sin. There will be, and you confess your sin. You don't lay blame. You confess your sin. God is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's First John 1, 9. And you begin to continue to walk and trust him in that. And so we say, we're not righteous, but Jesus is. But now in him, you are made righteous by his Righteousness. And we get to walk that out as we walk in the spirit. And so those things are not contradictory. The Bible's not contradicting itself. They go together. But then the second and third question, if we're saved by grace, why does the Bible talk about judgment by works? And by the way, there are a lot of passages that sound that way, right? John chapter five. We were just looking at this this morning in the equipping hours. We're working our way through John and how to read it with others. John chapter five, verse 27, Jesus is speaking and he says, uh, and he has given him authority to execute judgment because he's the son of man. So that's Jesus talking about himself. He says, do not marvel at this for an hour is coming when all who are in the t- tombs will hear his voice and they will come out and those that have done good to the resurrection of life and those that have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. And there's gonna be this resurrection but then 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ for each one may receive what is due to him from the things done while in the body. Or Romans chapter 2, he will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But to those who are self-seeking, And do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness. There will be wrath and fury. And I could go on. I could give you a lot more examples of this, but it does talk about this. And it does talk about judgment. And it does talk about standing before God. And it does talk about works being weighed and what that looks like. And so what is going on there? If we're saved by grace through faith, do we stand before God in judgment? And if so, what is that like? And so let me just sketch for you what the Bible says on this topic big picture here revelation chapter 20 the verses i just read to you second timothy chapter four says jesus is going to return he's going to bodily return that the dead in christ shall rise first and then he'll bring all people those living and dead and we will stand before him in judgment that's all of us right paul makes that real clear in second corinthians chapter five romans chapter 14 both of those he says we're all going to stand in judgment in fact paul even warns us He goes, be careful how you judge other people because you're going to stand in judgment. Second Corinthians 5, he says, we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And so I want you to think about it two ways. Start with those that have rejected Jesus. Because he says, those that have rejected him, that are self-seeking, do not obey the truth, that have put him away, they will face wrath and fury. It says that in Romans chapter 2. And so what happens if you're not put your faith in Christ and you stand before him in judgment? You're gonna stand before that perfect God who is holy righteousness, is perfect in every way. And instead of being clothed in Jesus's righteousness and what he's done for you, you're gonna stand on your own merit. And what's gonna happen is you're gonna stand before the perfect, holy, blazing glory of God who created all things, that spoke you into existence, that you owe everything that you have and everything that you are to him. And there's gonna be a mountain of your sin. All the ways that you rebelled and all the ways that you ignored him. And his standard is perfection. And it says there's gonna be wrath and fury, right? It actually explains this. If you read real closely, And what it says in Romans chapter three, talks about how Jesus has died for us as the propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. And then it says, this was to show God's righteousness because of his divine forbearance. He had passed over former sins. Do you know what he's talking about? That Jesus came to take your place, to do what you haven't done for you, to be the propitiation for your sins. That is to bear the wrath of God on your behalf. So when you put your faith in Jesus, he says, I will take all your sins and I will take all of it upon me and I pay for it, every bit of it and I bring it to nothing. There is no more wrath left for those that are in Jesus. But what Romans chapter two says is that if you reject him, don't you know that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? And if you don't repent and you continue to hold fast, that it's you and what you do, you're storing up for yourself wrath and fury. And here's why. Because God is perfectly holy. And he's perfectly righteous. And if you're not trusting Jesus, then you're gonna stand on your own merit and you're gonna be found wanting. And because God is who he is, which is perfect in every way, that sin has to be dealt with and his wrath will be poured out. He says, those that stand before him, that didn't know him and weren't trusting him and weren't putting their trust in Jesus for all things, he's gonna say, depart from me, I never knew you. And the Bible says that very clearly, that that's what the judgment looks like. That none of us will be able to stand before the holy blazing righteousness of God based on what we do. But here's the thing. When Jesus talks about that, he talks about the judgment seat. And he says, there's gonna be a lot that stand before him and say, but Lord, didn't I do all these things in your name? And to some of those, he's gonna say, depart from me, I never knew you. And you go, whoa. What is that about? You know what it's about? What Jesus is saying there when he's talking about that? There's going to be people that said, but Lord, I went to church all the time. But I went to a Bible study. But God, I gave money to the poor. But the problem is in each one of those things, rather than trusting Jesus and what he's done, they were trusting in their own doing. They weren't trusting in Jesus as savior and Lord. They were just trusting him as a means to try to get them these other things. And Jesus says, there's gonna be people that he says, depart from me, I never knew you. The only way that you're truly saved is by putting your trust and faith in what Jesus has done and nothing else. By not laying blame. By going, I know I'm a helpless sinner and there's no way I can stand before a holy righteous God on my own and I desperately need Jesus. So that comes to the other side of the question then. What about believers? Do we stand in judgment? And if so, why? If it's by grace through faith and what Christ has done for us, do we stand before him in judgment? And the Bible's answer is you do. We're all gonna stand before the creator God of the universe. Every single person in this room, you're going to stand before the God who made you. All of us. And I want you just to think about that for a second. Is that kind of scary? When you hear that, you're going to stand before him. There's a key difference, though, between standing before him as a believer and an unbeliever. If you've put your faith in Jesus, you're going to stand before him. And instead of being judged on your record and what you've done, you're going to be clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. John 5, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Paul says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, therefore is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So what happens when you stand before Jesus? You're going to stand before him, clothed in Christ's righteousness. And you're gonna know as you stand there that it's the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ and what he's done for you. But you're gonna stand justified by grace as a gift. And in that moment, Jesus isn't gonna bring up all your old sins because they've been put away as far as the East is from the West. They've been paid for. The wrath of God has been poured out on Jesus in your place. And he's going to show you your works that you did. And you're going to know the works that you did in your life that were by faith. Those are the only ones that will be left. But here's the thing, I think. I'm saying this. this Here's what the Bible says. I'm making a speculation here. You're going to know the things that you did that were good, that were by grace, through faith, trusting him, honoring him, making it all about him. And you're going to see the rest of it get kind of burned up. It actually says that in Corinthians. They're going to be gone. They're going to evaporate. I think I'm going to stand there and I'm going to realize how much of what I did in my life was from selfish ambition and my pride and all those things. And as soon as I do, I'm then going to realize that much more what Jesus did for me. That it's all his grace and I'm going to know all my sins so clearly and he's not going to bring up any of it. Because he's paid for it, and it's done, and it's complete. And so what is the judgment about? And here's the thing I can't get my head around. I've tried really hard for a lot of years. That Jesus is going to look at the works that you did in his name, truly trusting in him, and he's going to reward you. He's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Hebrews 2 says he's going to call you brother, and he's going to stand you up and go, look at what he did, and you're going to know. You're gonna know without a shadow of a doubt that everything good you ever did was by His grace and what He's done for you. And He's gonna give you these things, and I don't, I don't even understand how that can be, that He's then gonna reward you. My pastor in college, and again, this is not, the Bible doesn't clearly say this. My pastor in college said this, he said, the only thing I can come up with is it's gonna be ammunition for worship that he's gonna reward you and you're gonna turn around and drop him at his feet and know that it's all him and nothing else. The good news, you're gonna stand before the creator God of the universe. But if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus, you're gonna be clothed in his righteousness and he's gonna welcome you into his presence and you're gonna be overwhelmed with his goodness and his glory. Oh, come Lord Jesus. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for the glorious good news of the gospel. It is so much better than anything that we can fathom. That you are holy and that you are just and that you are righteous and that you are gracious and that you are merciful and that you are kind and that you call us into your presence. And it's not by our doing, but it's by your doing, oh, that we would see that afresh. That you would remind us of your goodness each and every day. We pray that we would trust you in all things. I pray for those here today that maybe are sitting and thinking, am I truly trusting in Jesus in all things? I pray that you would convict us in the areas that we're not that you would remind us of your goodness, that you would show us the glory of what you've done for us in him, that you've dealt with all of our sin in all ways, that you'd help us to see that afresh today. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.